Let us again pray together. Oh Lord, as we come now to open Your Word, we again see how You are bringing about judgment upon Israel for the, Solomon, uh, for the sin of Solomon. Now Lord God, we ask and pray that You would give us understanding here this morning that we, in this passage, would be reminded of Christ and our need of Him. And thank you that you have sent the one who is the greater king than Solomon, the Lord Jesus, to save his people. Lord God, bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word for the sake of Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please remain standing and take your copies of God's word and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11 will begin at verse 26 and read to the end of the chapter, verse 43. Hear now the word of God. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zerada, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you 10 tribes, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab. And Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life, for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you, ten tribes. Yet to his son I will give one tribe, that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. 
And I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires. And you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways. And do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did. I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? The time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we looked at verses 9 through 25 of 1 Kings 11, and we saw the, the beginning of the fall of the house of David. We saw God's anger against Solomon for his sin, but especially for his sin of idolatry. We heard the, the punishment that God was going to bring to Solomon. And in all of that, we also heard and saw of God's mercy. To Solomon. And so this morning we come and we come to the end of the life of Solomon. And we see here a nation divided. Now, as we hear of a nation divided, who divided it? It was God. It was God in judgment against Solomon. We know that a house divided. Cannot stand. And we see uh, God this morning dividing Israel into two, north and south. And with this division, with the death of Solomon and, and, and with the fact that Rehoboam will have the, the, the north, northern part taken from him, this is how we will see Israel throughout the rest of the Old Testament. You have the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes. We see as Solomon's life comes to an end that he, he started well, but he did not finish well. You remember back at the beginning uh, of Solomon being king over Israel, God came and appeared to Solomon. He said, ask whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And, and Solomon pleased the Lord and he asked for wisdom. Because that pleased the Lord, God gave him great wisdom, but also blessed him greatly with riches and, 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 and a good business uh, and, and a peaceful reign over Israel. But as we have seen over the last few weeks, Solomon then decided to go the way of the world. His heart was led away from God by his many wives. He began building altars for these false gods uh, of, of the people that Israel should have put out of the land. And, and so as we see the death of Solomon we also see the end of the golden age of Israel. 
From this time forth, you will have a nation divided. And so there are four things I want us to to see here from our text. And and the first is what takes up the majority of our text. It is a, a prophecy. And it is a prophecy of that nation that will be divided. Last week we saw God raising up adversaries to come and be a thorn in the side of Solomon. And this morning we see God raising up another man. This man is Jeroboam. He too is raised up by God and is given a a direct prophecy of a future kingdom. And the Bible identifies, which the Bible identifies as the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. In other words, God raised him up to lift up his hand against Solomon. Now this prophecy came some time before the end of Solomon's reign. And and what we know about Jeroboam, it's not surprising that, that God would pick him to raise him to power. As we read this morning in our text, Jeroboam was a a, a gifted leader. He was a man of wealth and influence. He was a hard worker. He did such excellent work that despite his youth and inexperience, he was quickly promoted to management. Solomon himself promoted Jeroboam to work, to be in charge of his workforce among the northern people. Tribes. And so this prophet comes, Ahijah. He is one of the lesser known prophets in the Bible. He is lesser known than even many of the minor prophets that we find in Scripture. We know that he came from Shiloh. That would be the, the place where Samuel had served in the days before David brought the tabernacle to Jerusalem. Now, the ministry of the prophets at this moment will become increasingly more important in Israel. What we're going to see from this time forth, especially in the northern kingdom, we're going to see kings that are very wicked. Now, you'll see that in the south too, but it's a, a slower progression in the uh, two southern tribes and the ten northern. And so prophets, the prophets of God, will play a very important role throughout the rest of first and even second kings. And as a prophet often did, he gave a sign, a dramatic sign. Ahijah had a, a new cloak. And he's out and he, he meets with Jeroboam. And notice what he says as he takes that new cloak and he tears it into 12 pieces. And he says this in verse 31, Take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from your hand, or from the hand of Solomon, and will give you 10 tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, And for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. So the prophet tearing the cloak was a sign of God's judgment. God is judging Solomon. 
And therefore Jeroboam will be raised up. And God is dividing north and south. The ten northern tribes will be taken away from Solomon and given to Jeroboam. And those ten northern tribes would leave the house of David. Then look at verse 35. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand. And I will give it to you. Ten tribes. Verse 37. And I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires. And you shall be king over all Israel. Now Jeroboam is not of the house of David. But God is raising him up in judgment. And what we know is this. That the the division is going to be disastrous for those ten northern tribes. As Solomon led the people of God into idolatry, then Jeroboam will lead them into greater idolatry. And again, the most wicked kings of all Israel will come from the north. If you go back, you'll see why God did this. As he explains the reason to Jeroboam in verse 33. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my rules as David his father did. God was taking the kingdom away from Solomon because of Solomon's idolatry. And again, gross idolatry, making Uh, high places for these particular false gods. Involved in the worship of these false gods would have been sacrifice, child sacrifice. Something something that, that no one in Israel should have ever participated in, much less the king. And so God sends this prophet and he gives... This prophecy. But then second of all, I want us to just look at two lessons we learn from this passage. And the first is is what we see throughout the whole passage. It's very important for us to remember. And it's simply this, that God is ruler, not just of Israel. He is ruler over all nations. He is sovereign over all. It is God who raises up kings and and brings them down. It is God who raises up governments and brings them down. It is God who raises up nations and brings them down according to His sovereignty. And so whenever we see a, a leader raised up and another one cast down, we should know that God is exercising His sovereign authority over kings and kingdoms. Again, Jeroboam rose to power because God raised him up. God did so for a purpose. Judgment against Solomon, judgment against his people Israel, and God raised him up as an enemy, as an adversary against Solomon. Now, this is why we read this morning in our text too that Solomon tried to kill him. Solomon got word of what was transpiring, verse 40 Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam rose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. 
And so as God divides Israel, he is judging Israel. Now even after this division, God is still both God and ruler of the north and the south. Two nations under God. But then the second lesson is this, that we are all obligated to follow God. Look at at verse 38, what God said to Jeroboam. And if you listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. Now this command that God gave to Jeroboam is very similar to the one he gave to Solomon. God said to Solomon, if you obey my law, my statutes, my commandments, I will bless your, your, your rule and your kingdom. But what is surprising about this command, it's not surprising that God gave it to Solomon because Solomon was the legitimate heir to the throne. Jeroboam is not. Again, he did not belong to the house of line of David, yet God offered him the blessings of David nonetheless, and he promised to be with Jeroboam and to establish his kingdom. But these blessings were contingent on what? The obedience of Jeroboam. I believe the same applies to nations today. If nations are to be blessed by the one true God, they are to be obedient to God. Again, we read just a little bit ago about the civil magistrate. And and what is the civil magistrate's purpose? Is it to promote all these different religions that we find in our nation? No, it is to promote the one true religion and protect the church of Jesus Christ. So that God's people can come and worship freely. Without any interference from anyone, especially from them. Now, if Jeroboam had obeyed God the way that he's told to, there would have been two nations that followed God, the north and the south. But again, we know that will not happen. Because Jeroboam will be a greater idolater than Solomon. But then there's a third thing we see this morning, and it is what we saw last week as well, and it is grace over judgment. The good news is that there is one great promise in this passage, a promise of grace that triumphs over judgment. Almost every other promise in Ahijah's prophecy contains a promise of God's faithfulness to who? To the house of David. The first is found in verse 32. But he, as Solomon, shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. God promises to Solomon to have one tribe. Why? For the sake of his father, who was obedient to God. And for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that God chose out of all the tribes of of Israel. Judah would belong to David's line. Now, we have some math problems here because we're, we have mentioned 10 and 1, but there are 12 tribes, right? 
Ten will be given to Jeroboam in the north. There's only one mention. Why is that? Well, the, the south will also include Benjamin, but Benjamin was so small that it really wasn't worth even mentioning. But Judah is the key. Judah would belong to the line of David. But then there's another promise in verse 34. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, Solomon's hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. The judgment is not going to happen right away. Solomon will remain on the throne until he dies. He will remain in power until the day of his death. This judgment will not come until after his death and it will be executed upon his son. Again, why? Because of David. We have yet another promise in verse 36. Yet to his son I will give one tribe, that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. God would not forsake the promise he made to David. The flame in David's lamp would never extinguish. And then the final promise is in verse 39. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Judgment would last for a night, but mercy would come in the morning. What God is saying is this, David's kingdom would rise again. Yes, the, the kingdom is being divided. The nation is being divided. But the, 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 the kingdom of David would rise again. And God promises to preserve the kingdom by grace. And by that grace, a remnant, and this is very important for the rest of the Old Testament, a remnant would survive. A remnant of believing Israel that will not worship the false gods that will be placed upon them by their many different kings. And out of that remnant, when the time is right, a true and righteous king would come again. From where? The tribe of Judah. And his royal lamp would shine in Jerusalem. But then fourth and finally, we have the last word on Solomon. The text ends with the, the last word on Solomon, verses 41 through 43. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon and all that he did is wisdom. Are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel <coughs> was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in this place. Now, in the closing record on Solomon's life, this summary refers to other official documents which have long since disappeared. We don't have them. But there was a book. And the rest of what Solomon did was written in that book. But the, the biblical record simply reminds us of this. Solomon reigned a long time. 
He reigned for a generation, 40 years. He reigned for a, a full generation as long as David, his father, did. And when his work was done on earth, what happened? He died and he was buried like we all will be. His body was buried in Jerusalem. And he slept with his fathers. And the line would continue. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would rule in his place. But the glory days of Israel are over. Now what application can we make here this morning? Well, the first is this. That just like Jeroboam, every human being on the face of the earth is also called to obey God. Now, sometimes we don't think that. We think, well, only God's people are called to obey God, right? No, no, everyone is. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The question isn't, what is the chief end of Christians? What is the chief end of all men? To glorify God and then we will enjoy God. If God is truly God, then His law is rule for every person's life. Even those who would claim to be atheists. Again, there is no such thing as an atheist. The Bible is clear. Romans 1 is clear. We all have a knowledge of God. What we do with that knowledge is suppress it in our sin and unrighteousness. But even the most devout atheist knows that there is a God. Again, it takes more faith to be an atheist than to be a Christian. But even the so-called atheist is called to obey God. Agnostics are called to obey God, especially believers in Jesus Christ. We are all accountable to God. And we are called to obey Him. Now the problem for us, even as Christians, is that we like to seek our own way, as Solomon did. And we will do that. We will seek our own way. We will sin against the Lord and we will transgress his commandments and we we go to the Lord and we seek forgiveness and we thank God this morning that when we do transgress his commandments that there is forgiveness for us in Jesus Christ. Second, even in judgment we see God keeping his promises to his people. That means God keeps his promises to us as well. You know, there are times we, we feel that the church is weak. We think the church is outnumbered. Are we worried that, that we are accomplishing little in this world? But what did Jesus promise the church? He promised, first of all, that the church will not perish. Now again, kings and rulers, they will try to eradicate Christians. They will try to eradicate the church. They will put great burdens upon the church trying to discourage people from coming and worshiping the one true God. But Jesus promises us that His church will not perish. And not only will His church not perish, but the church will prevail against the powers of hell itself. Now, we may doubt that sometimes. Look around you this morning. Not many folks are here. It will be even less tonight. 
I guarantee you that. Unless all of you come back. And we are weak. We look weak to the world. We, we are not filling this building or this parking lot. But yet the promise of God remains to us. That the church will continue. The church will be on this earth until the Lord comes again. And then the church will be ushered into her eternal home. And on that last day when Christ comes, you will see that church that Jesus died for. God will do everything that He has promised to His people. He will provide for our needs. He will forgive our sins. He will deliver us from danger. And when our work on earth is done, He will bring us safely home to Himself. Then finally, let us praise God this morning for that king of Judah that he raised up in his time. That king being the greater Solomon of a greater kingdom who still has grace for us. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the risen king, the true and righteous Solomon of our salvation. Jesus is wiser than Solomon. Even though Solomon was wise, Jesus is, is all knowing, all wise. Jesus is greater than Solomon. The fact that Jesus obeyed the Father's commands and laws and statutes perfectly. Jesus is greater than Solomon because Jesus then went to the cross and died for the sins of his people. And by the power of the resurrection of Christ, we will be able to serve God to the end of our days. And after that, to offer our Savior an eternity of praise. Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Jesus too died in the city of David. And he too was buried. But he did not remain dead. By his own power, the power of God on that third day, he rose again from the dead. And that's what gives us hope in, in, in this life and for the future life that there remains for us that greater kingdom that we'll be ushered into one day. We're a part of it now, but we don't see the kingdom as we ought to see it because it's hidden from our eyes. But that day when Christ comes, we will see the glory of that kingdom. And so when that day comes, will you be a partaker of that kingdom? Will you be ushered into the glories of the new heavens and the new earth? Well, the only way you can say that you will be is by trusting in Christ in this life. And turning from your sin. We asked this question a few weeks ago. Will we see Solomon in heaven? I believe we will. And I believe we know that by the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon lays it all out for us in that book. He says, I've done it all. I've had it all. I've experienced it all. And all of it is vanity. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Without God. 
And at the end of the book, he sums it all up. Fear God and keep his commandments. How do we do that? By trusting in Jesus. And looking to him for our salvation. As we turn from our sins. Trusting in Christ for our redemption. And for the forgiveness of our sins. May God add his blessing to the reading hearing and preaching of his word. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the life of Solomon, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because it is written for our instruction. No, Lord, I pray that we would learn from Solomon's life that we would not just start well, but would end well in the faith. And I pray, O Lord, for any who are here this day that does not have, that do not have faith in Christ, that this is, at this very time, you would bring them to Christ. You would save them. You would cause them to turn from their sins and turn to Jesus. And, oh Lord, we thank you that in Christ there is plentiful redemption for all who come to him in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.